everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here with my friend and co-host Michelle. Hi Michelle. Hi Stephanie. And today we're going to revisit the subject of our very first show. So this year um, our very first show was the best of 2016. So we thought that we would continue in that new tradition and do a best of 2017 show. So we each selected three titles that we're going to talk about and we'll alternate. And I believe that neither of us have read the other's picks this year. Yeah, that's right. We had actually, yeah. we, we, there was a confluence, wasn't there, yeah. last year? That I'd forgotten that. But no, this time um, we are strangers to each other's texts. Well, see, last year we were, we were young and eager and we read each other's texts. And this year, after a year's worth of podcasting, we are tired and old and jaded. <laughs> and so we have, and so we've been separated by our picks. Yes. Um, although I am passing on... At least yes. one of my... You are lending me copies, so we, yep. will, we will come back together again. That's right. All right, so my first pick is a book that I read at the beginning of the year. So I may not remember 100% of the details about the story, um, but it is something I really, really loved, and it has stayed in my head, and I read a lot, and the, kind, the books that stay in my head, I know, are good books, because so much of it leaves my head. <laughs> so the fact that this has stuck around since the beginning of the year is a good sign to me. And that's a book called All Grown Up by Jamie, Jamie Attenberg. Um, Jamie Attenberg's um, an American novelist. She is quite popular in America, but she hasn't, I think, quite had the crossover to Australia that um, I want her to have. Um, so All Grown Up is quite a slim little book, um, and it's told quite episodically or, um, yeah, it doesn't really follow a chronological structure. It's about um, a 40-something protagonist, a single woman called Andrea, and it um, gives you little snippets of, of her life across the span of quite a few years. And the conceit of it, all grown up, um, is about how women's lives are kind of marked by all of these markers of, of, of growing up, marriage, babies, etc. So what happens if you're not married and you don't have babies? How do you um, define adulthood for a woman? And it's all about a single woman navigating the world um and she's an artist and she's trying to figure out what her life is in and amongst all her friends who are marrying off and having babies and so forth and that sounds like a chick lit kind of proposition um you know single girl takes on the world but it is not at all like that it is much more kind of literary um it is really thoughtful um it's got this really interesting as i said episodic structure so you come kind of in and out of, of her life over different um, at different points the voice changes so usually we're in um sometimes we're in first person sometimes we're in third person there's a chapter in second person as well um so you you kind of get a few different visions of of, um, of andrea's life there are some kind of ongoing stories that you track um, but because you see her at different points in her life it's not necessarily like a chronological arc it's more it's much more episodic than that it's really beautifully written it's very clever it's very thoughtful i think any woman would relate to it a lot, I think, um, no matter kind of where they are in their life. Um, and I thought it was it deserved a lot more attention than it got. As I said, I think it got a lot of attention in the US, but I don't think it's necessarily got the attention it's received here. It's just it's a really convincingly, beautifully written story of, of a woman's life. And it's the kind of story you don't see often. It's not tethered to you know, the marriage plot, the babies, you know, that kind of narrative. It's it's refreshing in the way it grapples with adulthood without those kind of traditional markers of adulthood. So 
or grown up, Jamie Attenberg. And she's a lovely person. I met her at the Sydney Writers Festival uh, 2016, I think. She was coming out to, um, yeah, 2016. She was coming out to um, promote her earlier novel, which was called St. Maisie. It's a historical novel. Um, and she was just absolutely lovely and really warm and funny. And so I have vowed to read whatever she writes. And I'm glad that I read all grown up. And also having the opportunity to promote her here. Which, yeah, exactly. Um, which every, every writer needs. Yeah, um, go I'm, read Jamie Attenberg. She's great. I mean, her St. Maisie is quite different to All Grown Up in that it is historical fiction. It's about this really uh, historical figure um, called Maisie who lived in the Bowery district um, in New York in the 20s and who was a kind of um, good Samaritan um, for all of the kind of really run-down um, people that lived in that area because it was an area in the 20s that was associated with like homelessness and all of this and she worked at the local movie theater and she kind of attracted all of these kind of working class homeless people to her and she took care of them that was a lovely story and she's also got another um, novel called the Middlesteens which is about um, a woman who is quite overweight and she writes about weight and body issues in in really convincing ways she writes like really smart really really well written mostly contemporary novels that are really funny and incisive and aren't kind of um they're not pretentious but they're also really really literary so more people should read her go read her i in in fact i shall make it a new year's resolution (laughs) um look my first uh choice for and in fact it's the it's my favorite book that I've read all year uh, is Malacqua by Nicola Pugliese. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you let me include it because it's a little bit of a cheat. It was actually written in <laughs> 1977. Um, Italo Calvino, uh, uh, it was actually it was actually sort of published via Italo Calvino who just thought of it as, as a sort of a, a, a masterpiece of our time. And then the uh, author, um, Nicola Pugliese, refused to allow any more print runs once it sold out and said it cannot be printed again until after my death. Um, And so the very uh, fact that I'm reading Malacqua now is because Nicola Pugliese uh, is is now dead and and we are uh, sort of once again free to uh, sort of publish, and this is a translated um, uh, edition of Malacqua. Um, and the I, the reason that I love this book so much is for its strangeness. Um, it's it's got this sort of uncanny uh, sort of um, tr- uh, uncanny uh, supernatural sort of theme that runs through it, um, but it's largely. Uh, structured and organised around four days of um, torrential rain in Napoli. Mm. And the sense of, of, of claustrophobia through this sort of rain that, that right at the very beginning causes landslides, mudslides, people die, um, houses are buried, um, and you are taken through the story in this in this sort of blurred seamless style of, of narration where uh, we sort of shift focalizers almost uh, sort of without without cue in, in fact seamlessly 
uh, and so one moment we find ourselves uh, in, in, in looking at things through the eyes of, the, of a town councillor, uh, the, the next minute uh, a, a sort of a teenage girl uh, and, and then once again um, we return to, to the town to the town councillor and uh, the, the thing is that on top of this sense of natural di- disaster and it's very much linked to uh, sort of a catastrophe of town planning and corruption where because anything goes anything can be built because problems aren't dealt with because because um, you know sort of the human tragedy that occurs uh, is is largely dealt with by sweeping it under the carpet by uh, recourse to you know this is this is Napoli this is what happens you know sort of making sure that the people who might be responsible aren't made to take responsibility um, so, so there there are all these sort of real ethical issues that are being explored and when you step back from the book you sort of realize that uh, we are also dealing with a with a sort of a, a catastrophic uh, sort of image of, of, of nature but one that is sort of ominous and uh, you're left with a feeling of uh, a, a sort of a, a, a punishment a punishing mother nature um, that, that sounds very apt for our times doesn't it well it, it does and and, and, I, and I think that these are these that these are sort of some of the I, I you know the themes and the ideas that uh, certainly give the text its its power both today but also in 1977 um, and I, I think just my my favorite sort of moments in the book are, uh, this town um, with uh, screaming and singing that they can't identify where it comes from. And so this, this poor councillor is left to investigate this, this. And so he has to enter into this terrifying <laughs> sort of um, ruins of a building crushed by, by um, the mudslide and only to discover... Um, that these it's 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 they're dolls they're dolls um proper terrifying sort of i guess um the the thing of horror dolls that are that and and you know sort of this impossibility of this situation of how do you tell the the you know sort of everyone that it's the the, the cries are coming from dolls because it's already a supernatural event um and and it's the way that it's treated and so that it like the the catastrophe all, all sort of gets um absorbed into this this city you know it gets absorbed into into this collective um where it's perfectly capable of maintaining uh um this this sort of i guess this this facade even in the in the face of the supernatural and and so so that 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 um i think i read for those moments where a story does what you can't expect it's going to do and so yeah. the, the the singing doll <laughs> and also um the screaming dolls and and the, and and the coins the singing the coins um just just some magnificent moments that um for me make this a book that i i think i i just want to read again and live with um 
for, for quite some time. Is that based on a real historical incident or is well, it made up? Look, I, I think had we had a little bit more time for Oops, preparation, <laughs> I would have <laughs> investigated because my feeling was as I was reading it, because it, it mm. was, yes, there was the rain, but the rain was actually coming in off an event when the, the, the ocean rose. Right. So, so the sea actually rose, mm. and the, the 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 treatment of of that moment where it's it's a, it's a flashback to when the carabinieri are all lining up, what they're going to do in the face of a rising ocean. Yeah, <laughs> shoot at Yes. Um, but they're trying to prevent people swimming, etc., etc. Um, th- that the, his I that made me want to go and investigate mm. whether or not there were uh s- s- that. Like a real life there was scene, yeah. Yeah, because the obviously Napoli it's a fishing um, yeah. port, there's there's swimming, etc. Uh, and I really did want to look into those two things because it it it, it invited mm. that sort of investigation. I mean it's marvellous without knowing one way or the other. Um, but I, I did yeah. want to look into it. Um, and in fact I can't wait for you to read it because I, I just want to talk about it with somebody who has read it. Okay. Stephanie. I've I've added it to my list. I'm carrying it around in my backpack. Yes, so and I, I will hand it back to you now that I've just talked. About I will put it. it back in my backpack, <laughs> and I will get to it very, very, very soon. Thank I you, absolutely promise. All right. So my second choice. All of my picks are women. I just realised. Um, so another female novelist, another American novelist. Um, it's The Animators by Kayla Ray Whitaker, and um, this is a novel that. I saw a lot of buzz about on the internet and then I bought it and then for some reason I thought, eh, I'm not really excited to read this and I put it, kept moving it down my to-be-read list and then for some reason I finally read it and I loved it. I said I should have, I should have read it much earlier and I will be forever um, mad at myself for not doing that. But The Animators is a really interesting book. It's about um, two friends, two female friends, Sharon and Mel. Um, Sharon is more of a straight-laced, anxious kind of person. She's a bit more kind of, um, I suppose, less kind of settled in her personality than Mel, who is very, um, she's got a very troubled background, but she's very strident. She's, you know, hard-swearing, hard-drinking, etc., drug-taking. She's a bit more of a kind of um, loud, extroverted personality. They meet at art, um, in art class at university, and they're both interested in animation and um cartoons and so forth and you first meet them when they're at university and then you go and that's only I say the first chapter and then by the second chapter they're 15 10 15 years into their careers and they just had a huge success they've just put out their first feature length animated film which is quite a it's it's animation but it's not for children it's um more like kind of dark animation so I'm thinking more of something like um, a Ren and Stimpy or South Park or um, Futurama something like that um anyway so it takes up them when they've had they've been quite successful um so it's a story all about sort of what happens as a result of their success um mel has had a really tough upbringing as i said so she's grown up um, with a mother who was actually imprisoned in at some point in her childhood she's i think 12 or something when her mother is imprisoned um and their first movie was actually about that growing up in that kind of um environment and Mel starts to go off the rails as a result of of, her, of their success. But also because the book is actually really concerned when it comes down to it um, with what we put into art. And when you mine your real life for your art, 
What does that do to your art and also your life? At what point is it okay to, you know, present somebody else's story as part of your artwork? And at what point is that kind of crossing a line? So because Mel has, um, you know, basically told the story of growing up with his mother who was a drug dealer, who was a sex worker, who was imprisoned, etc., there are all these questions that arise in the novel about um, whether her mother's death is is on Mel in some way because her mother dies quite soon after the um, the release of the film. Um, and then as the novel progresses, Sharon starts to make a film based on her life because she's had this, this sort of traumatic incident. I won't spoil what happens, but she's also had some kind of trauma in her life, which is not as kind of severe, I suppose. It is in some ways, but it's, it's not as kind of... Um, um, impact, it hasn't kind of impacted on her life in a severe manner as, as Mel's trauma. It's more about somebody else and somebody else's father. So there's all these questions arise as the story progresses about, about what we do to a life when we transform it into art, whether that's a moral thing to do, whether that's an amoral thing to do, to what extent can you use somebody else's life for art? Because obviously if you're telling your own life story, your family your extended family is going to be impacted by those kind of presentations. So as the, as the novel goes along, various things happen in their friendship. You know, um, Sharon has a particularly um, unpleasant incident happen to her. Mel looks like she's going to, she's cleaning herself up and then she sort of um, goes off the rails a bit again. And it's also about the kind of creative life and what it means to be an artist. So... Sharon and Mel are women, right? And women often don't get a, get away with that kind of the selfishness of the artist, you know, go away family, I'm, I'm creating art. I don't want you to kind of annoy me. So um, it's a lot about the life of the artist and what, what the creative life kind of does to your life and the kind of inherent selfishness, I suppose, or um, the need to to kind of follow those selfish impulses when you're creating art. So it, it's a kind of um, very easy to read novel, very well written, very easy to read, follows a kind of clear cut chronology, but it, it delves into these really um, interesting issues through a really interesting story about these two friends and how their lives kind of converge and diverge in various ways. And I just thought it was really, really well done. I thought the characters were really, really strongly drawn. The main character... Sharon is the focalizer. It's in first person. And her family in particular were a delight to read, especially the way she transitions in her view of her family. Her name is Sharon Kisses, which I think is a wonderful name. <laughs> Can you imagine being Miss Kisses? Um, so it, it's quite fun. It's not at all a heavy read, but it does delve into some interesting issues. Um, characterization is great. Fun story. Sad story in many ways, deals with some media issues, but it's just the kind of novel that as I was reading it, I was like, wow, I wish I'd read this earlier. It was just so compelling. So I really enjoyed it. The Animators by Kayla Ray Whitaker. Oh, I shall check and get one out. Yeah. And actually, I should say a lot of it is set in Kentucky, which is a kind of setting you don't often get in novels it starts off in new york but then it in, um it goes to kentucky into florida and it explores a kind of side of america i think you don't get a lot in novels as well so i think that's um another interesting part of it and i should also say too that even though it's about animation and you can't see their movies i think whitaker is a really skilled writer because what she does is she describes their movies 
in such a way that you feel like you've seen them. And I think that must be really hard to do, to write about a visual medium in a, in a written medium, to write about a visual art form in a way that makes you kind of appreciate what they're actually doing. It makes me wish that I could actually watch their films. So I think she's a very accomplished writer. This is her first novel. She's only quite young. I'm looking forward to seeing what she does. Yeah, look, I mean, it creates a lovely texture on the page, doesn't mm. it? Because you end up with the, the sort of the resonance of, mm. of, 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 of the visual um, in, in, in the written. And yeah. it's, yeah, it just it adds those extra, um, the extra dimension. Yeah, I really it. wish I could see the films. And it, it was a lovely reading experience, actually. I read it all in like two days and it was great. Look, I've chosen uh, an anthology for my second mm-hmm. book. It's uh, called uh, Freeman's The Future of New Writing, which... That's I, a very bold title. Well, look, it, it, it's not just bold. I think generally I may have been put off by <laughs> a title uh, that, that has that sort of hubris in it. But um, I, I, I came across it in, uh, in the bookshop began uh, sort of flipping through and reading the introduction and uh, uh, John Freeman has worked on Granter and um, various other um, literary journals and this came out this 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 collection of stories uh, sort of came out of a desire to uh, I guess anthologize um, uh, you know, it becomes a fraught thing to talk about, but in in, mm. in sense, uh, short stories from all over the world. Um, so he describes taking two years um, of of reading through uh, in submissions of, of of because he's obviously quite active in a in a literary circuit of of coming across people in festivals and mm. uh, having somebody who working working with him um, and just. Uh, sort of reading everything from Flemish poetry to um, whatever the other extreme of, um, <laughs> with of, of and not that the Flemish poetry is um, is an extreme, but that was very much his goal was to produce a, a sort of a cosmopolitan anthology of literature with a very sort of firm uh, sort of political stance in uh, sort of in a sense using. Um, short story and literature to bring down that notion of, of, of the border um, when, you know, with the increasing difficulty of people sort of moving around mm. uh, the world, uh, he wanted a book that would bring stories from all over the world. And so for me, um, although I haven't read all of the stories yet because it has been an incredibly busy year, um, there, there's just uh, there's just an in, incredible... Um, stories and it's it's fascinating reading them one by one but also uh, sort of as 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 they sort of set up a dialogue um, mm. between them um, so I, I did want I did want to um, you know and some of the short stories were just um, fantastic uh, just stories once again where you feel as though um, for a moment you've forgotten everything you know and you're in a completely sort of um, a different world, which is, you know, sort of that, that world of fiction. Uh, and I think the more that you read, the harder it is to, to get into that mm. zone where you're not sort of saying, oh, I've seen that, 
read that, done that, mm. you know, and, and so there is that desire just just to read something that, that gives you a glimpse into something that you haven't seen before. Um, and and that, that's definitely um, the, 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 the future of new writing. Um, with just uh, such a, such an incredible selection of, of writers from and of and you know he says it's not just uh, sort of writers from all over the world it's also from you know sort of young writers old writers mm. you know sort of um, just an, an, an effort to bring together I think a collection of stories that uh, wouldn't usually. Um, sort of occupy a, mm. a single terrain. Um, that sounds nice because it's nice to get a kind of um, a, a broad range of subjects in a short story collection. I think I think that sometimes, like I tend to read a lot of short story collections that are you know by the same writer, and um, sometimes they can kind of lapse into a sameness in yeah. terms of theme and style. And so it's nice to have a kind of broader range of authors. So you know, I'm sure you could find one that you like regardless of what your specific tastes are. Well, well, that, I think that was it, and mm. also because the short story can do so much, you know, mm. like it, it, it can it can do so much, and in in some sense, uh, that's that's what this did was it it just it, it just showed mm. um, what a, what a powerful medium it is. Uh, mm. the, uh, I love the short story, but I do find that a collection mm. of all the one author can actually it needs to be read a chapter, yeah, um, here and there. Um, yeah. I've I've always found because there there is just that sort of um, there's just that thread of of, of, of sameness I think that, mm. that that needs needs a break in order to um, experience the fullness of each story. Mm. Whereas with this one, you could turn a page and you know sort of one minute um, you're on the rooftop um, of a province in China, and the next minute you're on the shores of Sydney. So mm. that I mean I guess that's geographical, but um, you know, in, in many respects, the form, you know, there's short fiction, longer short stories, you know, sort of semi-poetry, the whole, the whole shebang. Um, Excellent. What a lovely suggestion. Thank you, Michelle. So my final suggestion is, or my final pick, is The Power by Naomi Alderman. Um, so this book actually won the Bailey's Prize for fiction. I think it's – I can't remember if it's still the Bailey's Prize. It might be the Women's Prize. Um, now um, for fiction so it was the winner in 2017 so The Power is a novel about um, what happens when the women of the world so pretty much all women across the world um, gain the ability to electrocute people so um, it's a it's a kind of dystopian um speculative fiction thing so there is a scientific explanation for it it's it's this kind of latent ability that goes back to kind of our evolutionary you know pre-life as you know fish um to (laughs) so we have this kind of electrical charge that only women can tap into and so what she's actually doing there is she's using a scientific concept to explore what would happen if power was reversed and women had the power in society um, and so all of a sudden women are able to, you know, physically overpower men. Women have that kind of ability to fight back. Um, women have the ability to, you know, take on their aggress- to take on people who are being aggressive and um, assaulting them and so forth. And they have this, this all of a sudden this unexpected physical power. So she, she turns and says what would happen if the world as, it, as we know it, power shifted into the hands of women. She follows the stories of a variety of women 
So it's not just about one person. Um, and what happens is interesting because it doesn't. she doesn't take on a kind of like, well, all the world's problems will be solved, you know, we've got men out of the way, women can carry on and be lovely and dainty and all of this. Um, she explores the kind of complexities of power, I suppose. Um, so good things happen as a result of this taking on of the power, um, but also very negative things as well happen. Um, so it's really it's really um, an interesting kind of thought experiment, I suppose. She worked a lot. Naomi Alderman is a British writer, and um, she worked a lot with Margaret Atwood on um, her um, writing and drafting of this book. Um, and you can see the kind of Margaret Atwood's um, speculative kind of um, vibe going on in this book you know what would this is only just a little bit removed from our world but yet it's so different from our world um, it's really well written it's really compelling it's got a, a great kind of um, almost an adventure narrative like there's a lot of moments of kind of adventure and suspense um, it's really thoughtful too Naomi Alderman is a really thoughtful writer um, she can be quite funny she can be quite savage um, like I said, it's a very complex kind of picture of, of how power is deployed for certain ends. You know, some people have very kind of um, understandable desires to use this new power that they've they've um, got for revenge, for enrichment, etc. As the world would be, all of a sudden, if you have all of this power, um, people are going to use it for various different ends that aren't all nice. So I, I found it really compelling really interesting portrait of a dystopia um, that also looks almost like a utopia at some points. Um, it's really also nicely kind of timed for the world that we live in. It's, it's just, um, I think, a really kind of timely book. It's gotten a lot of buzz around the world. Um, I haven't seen so much here, but it is definitely worth reading. I thought it was um, very compelling. Again, the characters are really wonderful. Some characters are really kind of morally ambiguous. Some are a bit more um, sympathetic. The way the narrative moves in and out of different people's stories and those different people's stories converge at different points is very clever. Naomi Alderman actually writes, um, if anyone is a runner, um, she writes an app called Zombies Run where she actually, you actually are motivated to run because the story that you're listening to tells you about how you're like running away from zombies and so you run faster because you're motivated to run away from the zombies it sounds dumb but it's actually really clever have you tried this i have tried have this tried and i have run through the streets being does, like does your heart start pounding at any run a five run run and i'm like yeah i'm gonna run <laughs> yes so it is quite fun um, um <laughs> Alderman's earlier books actually she's she wrote um a book called liar's gospel which is um a kind of religious historical fiction she's um grew up in an orthodox jewish family um, so she has this really interesting kind of background. Um, I think she's a really interesting writer. I loved this book and I thought it was well worth the Bailey's Prize, especially in a year when all of these issues around power and the ability of women to fight back seem so pertinent. I think I might need to read that one. It's just, I was thinking um, I might need to have that power. Yeah. <laughs> Knock out a few people with electricity. <laughs> Well, I, I'm fascinated by the idea that it comes from um, our, our, our sort of um, beginnings. Yeah, in, in we were ocean. fish once. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking about all those electric eels. That's floating. exactly where she got it, yeah. Yeah, well, there we go. She got it from electric eels. It sounds like an absurd proposition, but it's actually wonderful. It's really, really well done. Oh, well, I'm quite 
excited because obviously over Christmas there should be time for reading. And That's right. And, and you need some good feminist speculative fiction. I do. I yeah. do because without even looking um, at my, my three selections, they're, they're all by men. Although, of course, um, Freeman's is, is, yeah. is, is a rich um, mix of, of um, both men and women writers. Um, look, for my final book of 2007, I've 17. 2017, um, I've actually <laughs> chosen The End of Eddie by Edouard Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is was originally written, uh, it, it, he is French and it was translated. So, I mean, because you are such a, a, a liberal um, person, you have once again allowed a book that uh, the translation is 2017. Um but uh, it was it, it, it obviously took a little bit of time to get across. Um, See how good I am, Tim. <laughs> look, this is this is why <laughs> this is why you hold the mic. Um, <laughs> the mic is on the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, the end of Eddie. I chose this one because, um, oh, it's it's a really gritty, um, difficult book, but it, it's it's so. Um, it's so well done. Uh, he tells the story of growing up gay in a in a small, uh, well, in 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 a really uh, working class French town, um, where he manages to draw in this uh, this this sense of. Um, it's almost a sense of, of sort of um, ancestry in, 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 in the sense of this particular uh, sort of world view where it's 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 so tough where the where domestic violence where um, families are, uh, are are sort of both starving but also um, alcoholic um, where the Possibilities for the future are a sort of pregnancy and alcohol. Mm. Um, that that's very much the um, that that that's that's very much the context. And of course, as as a recognisably um, gay little boy in a household of very tough men, mm. um, it, it it makes for this really sort of um, just compelling read. Because he he manages it so beautifully, there there's no um, there's there's no sentimentality there. There's a, there's a very strong sense of of it, I mean it's told with a with a with a profoundly um, sort of objective um, style that's not afraid of 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 providing the graphic detail, um, and it's his ability to draw in. Um, the events that that's that managed to to show uh, sort of a family and and a town who are of course agents in in this violent cycle but uh, who are also very much um, disenfranchised by uh, by 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 a larger France who mm. or, or, or by uh, by a, a, a France of you know by by middle class France, so you 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 have a body um, that dies 
well, not your body. You have a dead body mm. um, where where the stench is, is is just backing up in the street. You have um, you you have uh, incidents of, of of brutal bullying. You have um, sort of exploits of um, you know sort of illicit sexual encounters. Um, but all of the time that he does this, there's this immense control and. There is a sort of very, um, there is something incredibly uh, perceptive and incredibly. Um, I, I, I guess it's 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 knowing in in the way that the the, the, the mani- in the way that uh, Louis manages that older narrator, younger vocalizer, um, that that I think. Is that that takes it takes real skill, real finesse, mm. and, and a real sort of sense of what the story is doing, mm. and he, he manages to do that because he certainly doesn't deliver up something where you think, well, he wanted pity or he wanted this or he wanted because he does actually um, make it out in a sense, uh, and I think I can't remember which university in France. I don't think he's now. Uh, I, I think he's actually a philosopher. Um, I think he's become a philosopher. Um, or he's working on um, a, a, a treatise in philosophy. Um, so you, you just you, you, you get this story of um, I, th- I think you get a story where you, you don't feel as though you've been obliged to take a moral stand. Mm, that's refreshing. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and I think that's that's why um, I read it. So it was at once compelling, but it didn't it didn't rely on um, you know sort of agitating the the the, 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 the sort of um, it, it didn't re- rely on agitating the, the, the moral reader mm. um, and and that that I found really um, powerful mm. that sounds like a wonderful book can I borrow that as well you absolutely can See? Um, we have enriched each other's reading lists as we have in, enriched the the audience's reading lists um, are there any other books that you want to mention before we wrap up for um, a 2017 year in reading show. Look, you know, I, I think if we've not uh, talked about um, Ali Smith's Autumn. Yes, that's true. I should say we we both I think would have put Ali Smith's Autumn, Reservoir Thirteen. Yeah, that's right. Um, and certainly Lincoln and the Bardo. Actually, I think Lincoln and the Bardo is probably my favourite book of the year. But we talked about those so extensively in our Man Booker shows. We thought it would be doubling up to talk about them here again. Yeah, I mean, I. Th- think I loved um, Lincoln and the Bardo. I love this. I think Malacqua mm. for me is it's actually still number one. My, my yeah. number one. Um, but but I, I think had we not have had that embargo on the books that we'd already discussed, <laughs> then yeah, Reservoir Thirteen. You know, so, so yeah. in, in actual fact, we 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 really did quite well, didn't we? To, oh, we to, had a great to, year in reading. Um, we we did have a great year. It was it was it was a it was a feast. And this is this is the marvelous thing about the podcast because there's that um, sort of you know that that, that effort to read mm. contemporary literature all the time because I absolutely have upped my reading of, <laughs> of 2017 books um, you know sort of 300 fold <laughs> thanks to you Stephanie um, because I can't imagine that I'd be in the in position to sit here and talk about um, not just sort of the book of my shortlist but also <laughs> various other 2017 texts. Well, I have, I think I have reading your... FOMO, you know, fear of missing out, because if, when I see a big book 
um, that's being discussed widely on the internet and amongst kind of reading circles. I have to read it. I can't. I feel like if if I let it pass me by and I don't kind of catch a book on that ebb, I feel like the world is passing me by. So my reading FOMO has really propelled me to read a lot of of new releases. But I've got so many to go that I wanted to get to. I've got Louise Erdich's um, Home of the Future Home of the Living God, which I really want to get to. Um, and so many other ones that have been released this year. I really, really want to get to The Wangs versus The World. Um, I really want to get to um, others that I have completely forgotten about at, right at this moment. But so many still to read. So many good releases. Look, I have so much confidence in your ability to get through these between <laughs> now and, and when we, we meet or, or also... But there's all the 2018 parts. releases too. I'm really looking forward to this book released you, in 2018 by Meg Wallitzer. Can't wait for that. You have got a good few weeks, and I don't think that there is a list long enough that you can't get through. Oh, no, 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 don't be silly. But if any publishers want to send us galleys of upcoming 2018 releases, you can do that. You know where to find us, from the lighthouse.org. <laughs> now I'm starting to now I'm starting to beg for free books. I'm so shameless. That yes, that that would be that might be my new wish that that comes true. That somebody sends us a free book. Yeah. We have such we have such modest desires. <laughs> Will somebody fulfil them? We do. Oh, wouldn't that be delightful? If that would be delightful. I get sent academic books for free, but that's kind of not as fun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this has been our best of twenty seventeen show. Thank you to Michelle for bringing in three wonderful sounding books. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, I'm hoping to get hold of, of some of the, well, the three that you described just sound. They live in my cupboard, so I will I will get them out for you. Um, and here's to an even better reading 2018. How about that? Thank you. Thanks, guys. Um, so this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. If you could please rate and review us on Apple Pod, um, on Apple Podcasts, sorry, that would be really, really super helpful. And if you want to tell us about your favourite picks of 2017, you can leave us a comment at fromthelighthouse.org or pop it in a Apple Podcast review or send us an email and tell us about all the books you'd like that you liked reading over the last year. See you. Bye.